So uh, that's everything, I think. And uh, we'll go ahead and dive in. So let's get that first question. Uh, what advice would you give to newlyweds learning to live as a couple versus two independent people? So Dave, why don't you start us off? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I'm the most qualified to answer this. I regularly tell people that we've been married um, almost 37 years now, 36 of them good. Um, the first year was rough. Um, neither one of us uh, had much experience with anything related to marriage other than watching our parents' marriages. We didn't have any uh, clue about conflict resolution. In fact, we had very different views about that. We had very different views about a lot of things. So our first year was rough. The advice I would give would be learn to live with grace with others. Learn to let go. The things that seemed super important that first year when I was trying to argue with my wife, um, I don't even remember what they were. I didn't remember usually a few days later. Um, so just walking grace. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else I don't want to say. Yeah, I'll add to that. Dylan didn't call on me, but I, I do work at Awesome Marriage, so I will answer this question. I think an important thing to remember is that you guys are a team. And so a lot of times when you're fighting with someone, it feels like you versus them. And so you feel like I'm going to win or they're going to win. But that's not true when you're in a marriage. You're on the same team. So a win is a win for both of you. So what you really need to do is you want to take the problems and you want to separate them from yourselves and you want to look at the problem and solve it together because you are side by side. You're on the same team. And there are a lot of creative solutions to your issues. But in order to get to those creative solutions, you have to have grace and you have to keep talking about it and communicating and prayerfully do it. I know it can feel awkward at first, but if you're fighting with your spouse, say, hey, let's pray about this and just sit and pray about it together. And then if you're still having issues, if you're having repetitive issues or if you're just not able to solve them, now it's time to go see a marriage counselor because if you can't solve this on your own, that is a great next step. There's no need to sit in the insanity of continuing to fight with each other when you guys don't have the tools to solve it. And that's okay. Dylan and I have been into marriage counseling multiple times and it has been very beneficial for us and so do not be afraid to seek a marriage counselor also email me at christina at awesomemarriage.com <laughs> what do you got stephanie um similar actually to what christina said how long have you and jim been married 39 years wow Woo! 37 That's awesome. we were just babes just very very young when we got married <laughs> they were 12 sure. <laughs> yeah um actually i've Love that what Christina said, but yeah, I um, have memories of the first couple of years when we were married, of being around a lot of other newlywed, because that's just kind of what happens, you know, your friend group. And I think what I remember um, is just that the competition between the people that were supposed to be a couple, supposed to be a team, it was like a competition, like to see who would be right. And I learned from that. I learned from like what not to do, and to just try to remember that. We're a team, and we flourish when we're for each other. Amen. That's good. All right, we'll go to the next one. Why does James so focus so much on what we do? So I'm assuming, so James is a New Testament book of the Bible, if you're unfamiliar. It's, um, many times people call it like the Proverbs of the New Testament. It tells you a lot, of, a lot of what to do and what not to do. It's very kind of practical in that way. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure, I can't remember exactly the intended audience and what's going on there. But if you have read it, it's very much, here's what, you, here's what looks like following Jesus looks like. Um, I think it's actually really helpful, especially for us today, because we can, we can get so caught up in the, um, I, I prayed a prayer, and so I'm going to say it, I believe Jesus with my mouth, and then I'm going to do whatever I want. Um, and and, and there, there's nowhere in the New Testament that you have this idea 
that you can follow Jesus or trust in Jesus with actually following him. Now, you're going to be perfect. You're going to fall short. You're going to sin. But there ought to be this desire to want to honor him. Now, again, for all of us, we come from different places. We have different backgrounds. We have different like, questions we've dealt with. So it is not a linear thing. You know, if two people who have been following Jesus for five years does not mean they're going to look the same exact way. But it's very practical uh, in terms of what it looks like. And what can easily happen is we can judge other people for not being good at the things that we're good at and then kind of justify the things that we do um, as they're okay or they're excused by God. And so, again, I don't know, you know, maybe one of the Bible nerds over here, any of them can answer. I don't know the, top, the, the context off the top of my head of why he focuses so much on that. Um, but if you're looking like practically how to love Jesus, you know, uh, James is what, five, six chapters, super short. Um, and he just says this is what it looks like. Yeah, I would say I'm grateful for the book of James because sometimes I feel like there's not always like definites, you know, in the Bible. And so James is one that you can really go to to um, find how to live this life. Um, so I appreciate it. Even if I don't always like it, <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, I would just say what you matter, what you do matters so much, right? Like you could say you love somebody, but are you actually going to show it? Like what, one thing I think about is like there's a lot of like toxic relationships. And so mm -hmm. a husband can say he loves his wife, but if he abuses her and doesn't consider her in his decisions, he doesn't actually love her, right? And so the same is true of our relationship with God. You can say you love God to your blue in the face, but let me see what you do with your life. And that will tell me whether you actually love God. Yeah, in James 2, it says that even the demons believe in God or acknowledge God's existence, and they shudder. So just knowing that there's a God out there is not the same thing as following him and submitting your life to him. So, all right. What is New City's beliefs on LGBTQ+, and are, those, are there restrictions against participation in the church? So, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, and this, I'll say this too. This is why I highly recommend, like, our Discover classes in a couple weeks I highly recommend people go to these things, whether it's a new city. For us, we're very team Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are. We just think following Jesus in community is important. And what we don't want you to do is to like get serving, get involved, be giving generously, and then find out a year from now, wait, we believe or teach that. Why didn't anyone tell me? So this is a good question as to why you should come to like discover if you're new to learn more about us. Um, yeah, I mean, just to be, just be frank, we believe that historic, the historic Christian tradition that scripture teaches that sex flourishes in the context between a covenantal marriage between a man and a woman. That's what we would say that scripture teaches. Um, that being said, um, there are in different parts of history, there are different things that our culture kind of rubs against, has issues with, has tension with. And so this is, you know, this is a very, God loves everyone. He accepts all of us. There's, you know, we, we like to judge other people's sins that we don't deal with because it's easy for us to judge those sins as opposed to not. Here's what I know. Even in a room this size, people watching online, we have people in this room that are same-sex attracted. So scripture has nothing, says nothing about, or there's, no, there's nothing sinful about being same-sex attracted. Uh, but we do think time and time again, um, it does show that, that sex is a good thing designed by God. It's not dirty. It's not gross. It's not meant to be hidden. It's not meant to be some bad thing. Um, but it brings people together in a psychological, physiological, social way. Um, and it will bring flourishing, not just between a couple, but it's between a family when it's between a man and a woman. And so that's what we teach and believe here. Again, we, I, I remember, um, sorry, take a second on this question because there's a lot here. I remember early on in New City Church, we had a guy come who was gay 
And, um, and so it's just a frank answer. And he was like, what's your position on this? And I said, yeah, this is what we, we teach. Uh, of course, everyone's welcome. God loves all of us. We're all broken. We're all sinful. We all have inclinations towards things um, that can lead us down a path. You can be heterosexual and be sleeping around and be looking at porn every night. And that is not any worse than being uh, acting on homosexual inclinations. So, but anyway, he was asking, and I was like, here's what we believe that Jesus teaches this. You're welcome here. You're welcome to have here. And he was like, well, um, I can't come to a church like that if I feel like I'm not, I forget the words that he used, but accepted. And here's the thing, I totally get that. Um, we are Team Jesus. We think that everyone should find a church where they can follow Jesus in community. We also think that, again, following Jesus means being willing to trust him and what he has asked us to do, even when it doesn't make complete sense in our mind. And so there's a lot more to be said. But yeah, just to be honest, we believe sex is a good thing designed by God that flourishes in the context of a committed relationship between a man and a woman. You can be same-sex attracted, and you can come. In fact, I have a very good friend, mentor in my life, who uh, is gay, has a husband, and they have two kids together. And you know, he doesn't live in Raleigh, but let's say he did. If he came in Raleigh, just, if I can speak to New City Church for, for just for a second. If he came one Sunday holding his husband's hand in, in church, I hope he would be loved and cared for and respected and welcomed here. I hope that we wouldn't be like, what are you doing? We hope we wouldn't be like, stop that. We would be honest. I mean, he knows uh, this as well about what we think is best for us as we follow Jesus. But everybody's welcome to be a part of this church or to come to this church. But we do want to be honest on what we think the Bible tells us or what God is leading us towards when it comes to sexual relationships. I can say a lot more, but any other thoughts? Dylan, would you expound a little bit on if someone disagrees with us on that and they're standing in the kingdom? Yeah, so I... (laughs) Go ahead. Why why don't you answer that, Dave? I, I would... Are you saying, like, whether or not it's sin or not? No. Okay. That's a great question, Dave. Tell me. <laughs> I was hoping you'd take that one. Um, so it is... Wow, I asked a question. I didn't even know what I wanted to say. I wanted Dylan to say. Um, let, me, let me put it this way. There are many things in the Scripture that I can have disagreements with people uh, about what the scripture teaches or that way to live that out or how practically that looks or what is or is not sin. And that means we disagree about what the scripture teaches. That doesn't mean because they disagree with me, they are not on team Jesus. That, that doesn't mean they are not in the kingdom of God. That means we disagree about what the scripture teaches us, but that doesn't mean they're not a follower of Jesus. That doesn't mean they're not this. That means we have a disagreement, and they, I think they're wrong. They think I'm wrong, and that is okay because we love the Lord. It's about whether Jesus transforms our lives and works on us. It's not about whether we agree on everything in the Scripture. And sexuality is a big issue in the Scripture, so I don't want to minimize that, but I want you to at least hear that that doesn't mean that because you disagree on issue A or issue B or issue C, that you're somehow not in the kingdom, or we are proclaiming that anyone else is, is in the kingdom or not in the kingdom. Yeah, and I think I'll, I'll speak to the second part of this question because I don't think we've hit on it yet, but their participation at New City Church in particular. Um, so because we do believe that is sin to uh, regard sex as apart from what, what, what Dylan just expressed, um, as far as participation in New City Church, you could come. Um, but as far as like serving in leadership, that would not be an option because it is kind of living in open sin, and we disagree with that. Um, and so it's just a part of being, living above reproach. And, and here's the thing. This is such a hard topic because this hits home for so many people. And this is hard for me, too, because Dylan hit on it, 
to, it's hard for us to follow God when we don't get it, right? Like to me, it's hard to understand, well, why can't people just be happy and, and be together? Like that's very hard for me to understand. However, um, I am foolish compared to the Lord and I'm going to trust that God knows better than me because he designed us and he, and he is worthy of our worship. And I'm going to trust Jesus over what the world says, whatever, what everyone else says. I'm going to choose to follow him even when I don't understand. And so this is really hard to do. Um, but I, I think it's important that we choose to do that. And I think another thing I want to say about that, this is it's, with all, most of these questions, truly, like, these are better living room conversations. And so have grace for us that we're on stage. We know that this can't be like as graceful as we'd like it to be in our living room. If you're in my living room, I'd get you some cookies and I'd hear your life story and I'd ask more questions before answering this. But I think one thing that we can do better that I haven't always done a great job either, so I'm including myself in this group for sure, I think we have to remember that as Christians, even talking to another Christian, that other people are affected by these things. So the way I hear people talk about specifically transgenderism um, of late um, in the Christian spheres, the way we discuss it as if, as if someone's not in the room who this hits home for. And because I am the pastor's wife here, I get to hear people's stories and I take that as a huge honor. And so I know more things than other people because I get to pray and take that before the Lord. And there are people in this church who are affected by this deeply. And so let's not joke about it. Let's not talk about it as if there's not someone in the room. Because you can still have your stance and have your belief and believe what God says, but say it in a way that someone in the room might be affected by it. And so let's have more grace for that. Yeah, I, I'd like to say something about that. Thank you for saying that, Christina. I appreciate that. Um, and so I'm assuming that we would also hold the same restriction to a heterosexual couple that was living together. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, that, that's good. So, yeah, in terms of serving positions, there's lots of, in terms of, like, serving on stage, for example, that's gay, straight, otherwise, like, on, being on stage on a leadership role, this would be the same thing. Heterosexual sex in the confines of marriage. So this includes being straight and living, together, living with someone who is not your spouse or actively engaging in these things in, in an unrepentant way. And so that is all that. Now, I'll say one more thing. I know we'll take a little bit longer on this question because there's so much more that could be said. And for many LGBTQ people, they have been hurt by the church. Not just, it's one thing to have a disagreeable stance. Uh, and it's one thing to say, I think this is sinful. It's another thing to how we treat them. Um, Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, who was a pastor theologian, he talks about how um, in different cultures, the, the Bible is always rubbing against culture. And different cultures, there's going to be different tension points. And so, for example, let's take a man who is same-sex attracted and also has an urge to be very violent. Well, in different cultures, Different uh, attributes of that man, would be, he would be told to, be, to minimize or to go for it. So in ancient Rome, if you have a man who is same-sex attracted and also loves violence, he would be told to minimize, his, withhold, or do in private his same-sex attraction, but go kill people. Like, that's a warriors, gladiators. Like, that, was, that would be celebrated. Well, in 21st century America, now it's flipped. If you have a man who is same-sex attracted and also is really bent towards violence, he would be told... Don't be violent, don't kill people, don't fight, but pursue this same-sex attraction. Now, again, scripturally speaking, we would say, yeah, both of these things need to be uh, submitted to Jesus, but different cultures at different times emphasize different things. And so uh, this plays out very differently, but there's always different tensions that we can face um, as we try to follow Jesus. So a lot more can be said. Thank you for ever asked that question. Um, that's a good one. Next one. Uh, how do you comfort a secular family that lost a child from a drug overdose? Steph, you want to start? Um, I think what first comes to mind is um, something like Christina was saying about the book of James, like living, your, living out your Christian life. So I don't think you have to um, like lecture or bring up you know, necessarily um, 
Christian issues, but I think you have to be intentional. And I know that's like a buzzword sometimes we use intentional, but there is good meaning behind that. So show up. And I, I was just listening to a podcast similar to this situation, and that's what the um, dad in the podcast said. He said, people showed up for me. So I think that's one way to really um, you know, reach out and uh, care for them. And I also think um, this is the hard part. Like, like, typically when we go through a difficult time like this, you know, we're running kind of on adrenaline. So we're doing okay. But a year later, two years later, three years later, that's when you really need people to show up. So don't, don't forget those people. You know, ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of who you need to reach out to. Um, that's what I think would be helpful. Do you want somebody to say yeah, something? Yeah, someone else say something. <clears throat> I would say most questions regarding other people and how you should treat them is to simply love them well. Just love people well. I'm pretty sure Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second was like it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. So how would you want to be loved in that situation? Love them that way. Yeah, this is a good question. It kind of makes me think, I know there's the non-Christian, non-Christian angle to this, but just in terms of suffering, whether you're Christian or not, what, the best way to love people is not to tell them it's going to be okay, not to give them the Bible verses about how God is going to use their pain for good. The best way to love one is to sit there to cry and tell them it sucks. And so saying one of my favorite things is probably not the best way to put it, but, but when I meet with many of you guys who have gone through very difficult things, one of my favorite things to do is just to say, bro, this sucks. Like, just, let's just say it sucks. I don't have any verses for you. I don't have any, this is going to feel better in a year. I don't, like, we just need to grieve with one another. We need to celebrate and we need to grieve. And so I think one of the best things we can do just in general when someone is suffering is not to say, well, at least it's not as bad as this, or, you know, I went through something, like, you know, and I got through, like, just to, like, grieve. That's, at least in the initial stages, the best thing you can do is just to grieve with someone, because this is awful, and there's no changing it. Um, just agree. It makes me think of a couple years ago, I went to a funeral of a friend of mine whose brother uh, took his own life. And you guys know my story. You know, I lost my dad. Uh, my dad took his life when I was 19. And so I remember sitting in this funeral, and I was so angry at the preacher who was doing this. Like, the things that he was saying, like, it just doesn't make sense. We're not sure why he did this. He wasn't in his right. Like, he's just, like, trying to, like, justify and give all these answers. And I'm like, there's nothing that needs to be said here other than, like, this is awful. We're grieved. We don't know why God allows these things to happen. Why didn't God intervene? And just, just weep. <laughs> I was like, that's what we should have done. Not to like try to give all these answers to make people feel better that, that aren't helpful. And so I don't know if that's helpful, but just I think grieving without answers. We, we want to give answers because we think it's helpful, but I think the best thing we can do is just to, just to grieve. Next question. Uh, as we approach another election year, how would you encourage New City and how we love and encourage one another? Dave, want to start us off? Um, I would say to love one another well. It's a repeat. <laughs> I, you may hear that once or twice more from me. <laughs> uh, I love what Dylan is always telling us is that faithful Christians can disagree. I feel like that's been really helpful for me as I just consider my brothers and sisters in Christ. And another thing that Dylan has really helped me see is if I had their same background and their same experience, I would probably think the same thing as them, even if they think the opposite of me now because I have a different background and a different experience. And so let's let's love each other well. Jesus is not on the ballot. There is not a Christian way to vote. You can vote independent. You can write somebody in. You can vote Democrat. You can vote Republican. And you can still be a faithful follower of Christ. So let's remember that in how we talk to one another, but also how we tweet and act on Facebook, okay? <laughs> 
I, so I don't like election years. Uh, nobody really likes them. But I actually think it's a great opportunity every two, particularly every four years for the church. A lot, a lot of pastor friends, and I try to encourage them to take advantage of this. You know, because for us, it's like there's contention, whatever. I think the election year is a great way to emphasize that we are unified around Jesus. And if you do not allow for differing viewpoints in your church, you will, ho- you will become homogeneous and easily judging everyone who's different. Because I talk to so many people. At New City, we have people who are very pro-Democrat. We have very people who are very pro-Republican, libertarian, people who don't even care. Like, it's an emphasis for us to say, listen, it's really easy for us to say we want to be in a diverse community. And I don't just mean like ethnically, but I mean like ideas. Everybody says that. You know, college campuses say that, but then we're so quick to like cancel and try to make, if you don't agree with this, you can't be here. So I love emphasizing every four years, like we'll do this next year. There are people who are very pro-Biden, very pro-Trump, very pro-third party, very could not care any less. And we have to be willing to be around people we disagree with. It's easy to say, Jesus says like love and grace and forgiveness. Everyone like loves the statements of Jesus. And this is part of the reason why I say we should follow Jesus in community, because it's easy to say all the things Jesus wants us to do when you don't actually have to do them, right? To give grace and forgiveness means somebody has actually hurt you and you decided to stay. And so election years are a great time for us to actually live out what we believe that someone in community group might say something that we like couldn't believe, like you voted for that, you think that. And I'm not saying these issues are not significant, but we have to decide what is more important, Jesus or these other things. And these other things really matter, but we have to decide who we're going to trust more. And so I think it's actually a, a great opportunity for churches to live out, that we are a, a diverse group of people with diverse backgrounds, and we have found someone greater than all of these things. Next question. Um, what, if any, explanation can you give concerning dinosaurs in correlation with the Bible? I'll go first, and then I, so when you ask to say something, too. Um, you know, we've been in Genesis, and um, I, you know, I'll say this up front. Again, New City Stands, talk about this at, at Discover. Uh, we, this is, like, the creation and how we got here is something that faithful Christians can disagree over, and not, and not even in a sinful way, just like disagree. Like seven-day, literal, six to 10,000 years old, or 15 billion, um, that is not a litmus test at all of someone's faithfulness to Jesus. Um, my views have changed on this over the years as of... I think any Christian over the decades and over the years that you follow Jesus has changed. What we say is that God created everything. Genesis is very clear about that. Um, that somehow, some way, there was a specially created an Adam and Eve somewhere in that process. And that because of the sin in Adam and Eve of creation is not now what it could have been. Again, I, I try to do this quickly. It's a little bit different take on it. I, I, I would submit to you, and I think biblical, biblical scholars in the majority would agree, Genesis is not a scientific account. It was specific people at a specific time, but the primary goal of showing us who God is and how he has desired us or designed us to be in a relationship with him. They, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but the original readers of Genesis would not have been thinking some of these questions that we are thinking. And so um, there's different ways to read it. We talked a little bit about it. If you want to go back to the beginning of Genesis 1, I kind of talked about the different views. I'm not going to get all into them here, but I would say, yeah, you can believe in an old earth and love Jesus. Um, again, the reason I would just say this is when you look at Genesis, in my understanding, um, you have the Garden of Eden, so there's chaotic, dark waters, bad stuff everywhere, or just, just like unlivable, I should say, unhabitable. And then God creates this place in the Middle East, specifically the promised land, the Garden of Eden, that is good. That fruit just seems to grow, that there is no pain, there is no death. And the goal seems to be, it says Adam, and, Adam was created, Adam and Eve were created, and it says that they were placed in the garden, so do with, do with it what you may, but it says that they are actually placed in the garden, you know, and that the goal was for the, this Garden of Eden area to spread over all of the earth. 
In other words, the whole earth was not like Garden of Eden. And the and sin, of course, prohibited that from happening. And so we're waiting for the day for Jesus to return again. But you can live, you can believe in all of the contemporary science and be a, de- um, a deeply committed follower of Jesus. And you can disagree with many of the contemporary sciences, scientists and be a deeply committed follower of Jesus. So um, one explanation is they lived hundreds of millions of years ago. Um, another explanation is typically for people who are more kind of a young earth is that they died in the flood. So those are the two kind of primary ones. Neither one of them are a litmus test of whether or not you're a faithful follower of Jesus. Next question. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if murder is wrong in the eyes of God, why does he order, uh, order to kill others, e.g. David and Goliath? What do you think, Dave? Why are you always calling on me, man? <laughs> um, murder, all killing is not murder. Um, there is an issue in the world of justice, and particularly in the Old Testament. Um, there was no police force. You know, if you had a criminal act committed against you, your family, um, your cousin, your sister, your spouse, your child, you didn't have someone to call and say, can you go arrest them and bring them before the court and we'll try to get justice that way. Um, there, there were just punishments that were given out uh, in the culture at the context of the time. Murder is uh, what we would say is killing someone uh, without cause. Uh, there are times in scripture where life that God has, pro- has said this action produces this consequence, and the consequence is death. And we think of that as justice, but we have a very specific system to do that. In the Old Testament in particular, there wasn't a system to do that. Sometimes it meant nations going to war to accomplish God's righteous judgments. And that's difficult to hear, and there's parts of that that I don't like particularly, which is why I didn't really want to answer this question. <laughs> there, are, there are places in Scripture that I'm uncomfortable with. So when I look at that, I do like what Christina said earlier. Yeah, Lord, I, I'm not sure I like this. I believe you and I trust you, but I'm not sure about how, I don't know that I understand this the way you do, and I'm going to have to trust you in the midst of that. Um, so yeah, there's just difficult things. David and Goliath, if you really want the specifics, I guess we could do scriptural exegesis <laughs> on the story. Do you, want, do you want to do that? Well, I think David and Goliath is an easier one than some of the other ones. You know, you could, you could probably easier. argue because there's, you know, bad people doing things or whatever. But uh, what do you think, Stephanie? Um, I'm not sure if this is what the person meant by this question, but one thing that has really helped me over the last couple of years really studying the Old Testament is, yes, murder is wrong in the eyes of God. But when I really look at some of the murder that happens in the Bible, I ask myself, did God order this, or is he allowing us to have a story about this? So in other words, does he say, yes, go and kill? Or was this a result of sin, a result of bad choices on other people's parts? So that's something that helps me. And then sometimes God does say, yes, these people will be annihilated. And I, too, struggle with that as well. And that's where it has to be, for me, an issue of trust and um, believing you know, that he knows best, that he has the big picture. He knows things I don't know, obviously. And so that helps me think about it. But sometimes, like recently, even in a conversation Dylan and Brian and I were having, I was like, I just don't like this story. Why is it even in here? Um, so I'm just being honest. You know, I don't, I don't like all of it, but I trust it, and I trust him. 
Yeah, I read a... You said? Oh, I was just going to add, we say in our community group, or I say in our community group a lot, nobody else says it because I don't think they agree with me, <laughs> but I say in our community group that we, our, our goal is to believe the Bible, but today I don't have to particularly like it. That it's okay for you to have levels of uncomfort with the scripture, levels of uncomfort with God, levels of uncomfort with what the Holy Spirit is guiding you into. That's part of our growth as believers. It's part of who we are. It's part of how God made us. There is a process. It is not, you are not microwaved and done. So I look at those things and say, Lord, I'm uncomfortable here. I believe you. I trust you. I believe your word. But you just know, I- I'm, I'm uncomfortable here, and you're going to have to grow me. Yeah, I actually read a book on David and Goliath this week. It was really fascinating. Um, <laughs> about of course this, you read a book on David and Goliath this week. <laughs> well, it's like, it was, because I, I got a lot of, like, what's happening in this story? So it was really lightning. I would say, so there are situations where it's like, there's clearly evil and there's not. I'm also uh, doing a, another read through the Bible right now. I'm like in First or Second Kings. And um, there's also a lot. So in Genesis, we've talked about too. Sometimes um, God is wiping out, like, I think if we could see what he was telling people, or the Israelites in particular, to annihilate, if we could see what they were actually doing, our problem would not be that God is telling them to kill them. Our problem is that God waited so long. Child sacrifice, sexual violence, just awful things. However, there are still times you're like, but why? Like, what about this situation? I think what they said is wise. We all have to come to places where we say, God, I do not know about X, Y, or Z, and I'm going to have to, I'm going to need you to trust me. Whether or not you believe in God, follow Jesus, or you're like, as atheists as they come, we all have to have faith propositions about stuff that we have doubts or things that don't make sense. And there are things in the Bible that faithful followers of, of Jesus, it'll be different for different people that we have to say, God, I'm not entirely sure why you're asking to, uh, this to happen in this particular situation, but I have to choose to trust that you know things that I don't. Yeah, I like to, what makes me feel a little bit better about this is we have children. And so my children are not stupid. Like I have a very smart eight-year-old and a very smart five-year-old, but they are eight and they are five. So their wisdom does not compare to mine. So sometimes they want to do things that don't make sense or that's not good for them or not safe for them. And I have to tell them what to do and they cannot comprehend why. And so this doesn't mean that you're not wise. It means you're a wise human and God is God. So. Awesome. Next one. How can Christians love our community and display Christ under the now politically charged label evangelical Christian? (laughs) Stephanie, want to start? I don't like labels. (laughs) I have actually made a point to let, I hope I don't offend anyone, but to let um, like my coworkers know that I don't necessarily fall under the category of conservative Christian because that means different things now. (laughs) So I think it's an opportunity to have a really good conversation um, and to not argue about it, to just, I think you can agree to disagree. Um, I have to be honest, I sinned a lot during the last election. Um, I did you hope my No one else did. No one else did. <laughs> uh, I really, my, my family knows, like they would like walk away from me. <laughs> I really struggle to love the way I should love um, people I disagree with. So I just have to be honest. I'm growing in this. I'm learning, and I hope to do better this time. I'll I'll just say this. I used to um, like, labels are great for shorthand because they help you in certain contexts. If you say, I'm A, B, and C, people figure you out a lot quicker. Um, But over time, labels change. I personally, and and this, this could really offend some of you, I personally loved the term evangelical in the 1980s, and I would not call myself an evangelical to anybody who I did not think 
had a lot of the same theological background, understanding, and used the term in precisely the way that I use it, which basically means I don't use it with anybody other than my spouse. <laughs> so, and primarily it's because the, the term gets front-loaded with things that I don't represent or don't want to represent, and the term means something to people that if I use it, they think, oh, you're one of, and they fill in the blanks, and I don't like what they filled the blanks in because I don't think that's true of me. So I just have generally jumped away from labels, and a lot of times when people say stuff like that to me, my first question, I hope, is what do you mean by that? And then I will let them talk, and usually what I end up saying is, yeah, that's not me. I, I don't know what you think, but that's not me. So I reject labels. Yeah, I mean, this one's tough because on a strict sense, like I would say, yeah, the same way. Like I am an evangelical Christian in terms of the good news of Jesus, and I want people to know. I think Theologically. He's, yeah, like, but it, now it's such a supercharged political, like percentage of evangelicals vote for this. And I'm like, I have never been asked, nor do I know any Christians who have ever been asked any of these surveys. I'm like, who are these evangelical Christians that they're asking about? I don't know who they are. Um, anyway, and so they it's call difficult. you, you don't answer the call. They, <laughs> they don't go to my yeah. church. Yeah. <laughs> And so it's, it's just hard because on a scriptural sense, it's just something different than it has become politically. And so, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a hard, hard thing. So, and I think if we're doing the same order, the next one kind of maybe feeds into that if you want to go to the next question. Yeah. How do we recognize when patriotism becomes idolatry? Christine, you want to start? Yeah, I think there are some red flags. I think um, a red flag that this might be happening to you is if you demonize the other side, right? The other side are human beings, not... Um, yeah, demons, <laughs> um, very, very literally. Um, and so, yeah, and then another thing would be um, if, you, if you can't find any fault with your country, um, because I love America. I'm glad I live in America. I wouldn't want to live anywhere, anywhere else personally. Um, but I do see America's flaws, right? Like this is not like God is perfect. A nation is not perfect. There is no nation that is perfect. There is no politics that are perfect. And so if you can't see this, idolatry might be a thing for you. Um, and then, yeah, how you treat people. I think if you're treating people poorly based on what who they voted for, it might be, be an idol for you, your country. Or um, if you can't handle someone else saying negative about your country. Um, yeah. Idolatry implies idols are things that we put in place of God. So anything in our life that we put in place that God rightfully belongs would become idolatry. And patriotism in America, we're a pretty patriotic country. I feel pretty patriotic. I, I love America. I'm with Christina. Happy birthday. <laughs> but, but my ultimate allegiance doesn't lie with my nation. My ultimate allegiance does not lie with my nation. It lies with my God. And when God and my nation are in conflict, that creates problems for me. When God and I am in conflict, that creates problems for me and a lot of other people. But when I put my nation in the place that God should be, that's idolatry. But when I put anything, my spouse, my children, my career, anything in that place, that's idolatry. So it's, it's not that patriotism is bad, it's anything put in the place of God becomes a bad thing, that becomes an idol, that becomes a stumbling block, that becomes sin, that becomes a big issue. And I hope that brings clarity because I'm not trying to downgrade patriotism. I've, I'm pretty patriotic, I would believe. I don't know, my wife's looking at me like, maybe not. 
It's a good rule of thumb not to look at your spouse while you're up here, Dave. <laughs> Just don't look at her. Yeah, I say, how are you doing with that one? I actually think, so patriotism, I think, is a great test case for how we are so conditioned by our environment, and that, and that impacts us more than we think. So, for example, my generation and younger is typically not very patriotic as the generations older. And it's not because we're somehow better or different. It's just because the environment we grew up in, we, you know, we're not around like these big world wars. It's our grandparents that were in them, not necessarily our parents. Um, we've also become hyper individualistic. And so that means you're not going to be patriotic because you're more about yourself, which also is, can be bad though, because then it's like, we don't even want to like serve anyone else. We don't want to put anyone else in front of us. So it's not just People are patriotic or not. This is our environment makes such a big difference. You know, if you're a little bit older, uh, maybe been through some difficult times, or your parents were in the war, uh, maybe the Great Depression era, like you learned community and service and putting the people before yourself. And so that feeds into patriotism, uh, how patriotic you are. It's like, I don't care about anyone else but myself, or I'm like pro. So again, I also wouldn't want to live anywhere else, and I'm happy to celebrate Fourth of July. Um, I also am happy to say America's got a lot of its issues of its own, and Jesus is greater. But I don't, I, I would say, like, I don't think it's, Christians shouldn't feel bad for loving their country. I don't think you should feel bad at all. We just want to make sure that, you know, it's in its proper place. Next question. Uh, if a parent is toxic, negative person, how do I continue without them? Do I keep forgiving them or move on? Stephanie, you want to start? Oh, boy. Oh, that's one. That's one that I would really... Did my kids send this in? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think it says... Oh, it says without them. I thought it said without her. Okay, so... Um, this is something that I just don't feel like I can fully answer up here. I'd much rather like have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the person um, asking this question. So if you're a part of your city, I'm available um, for this question. <laughs> but I think what I would say is, first, yes, you do keep forgiving, but it also might mean that you move on. I think both of those things can be true. And I think that we, I think as Christians, and I'm including myself in that, that we really push forgiveness and we need to give people some space and let the Holy Spirit work in their life because false forgiveness isn't forgiveness. And so, um, yeah, if they're toxic, negative, you might want to limit your time and they might not like that. But um, I think that's okay. And maybe just even uh, have some accountability from other people and ask, you know, like further um give more information about the specific question like to someone that you can be accountable to. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll just say one thing very briefly. Proverbs talks about that the wise person sees evil and hides from it. So when you see evil, it, it is not sinful to hide from it. It's wise. So there's times in our lives when we come across people that do evil to us or towards us or we like to label that toxic. So sometimes just having an attitude can get you labeled toxic. Uh, bottom line is, this is an issue for prayer. This is an issue for counseling. This is an issue to figure out how do I maintain appropriate biblical boundaries and try to love this person well. And sometimes that means I love them from afar. Yeah, I think this is hard because I do think toxic is a big buzzword. And so I think you have to prayerfully decide, is this a forbearance thing where I just need to forbear someone because they're 
annoying or hard to be around. Um, because I think as Christians, we're supposed to have forbearance. I've heard a lot of people say like, oh, I don't like it when this person does this. And they, so they like cancel them. And I'm like, they're just being a human being. They're not being toxic. You just like throw the word toxic around like really, really loosely. Um, or if it really is a situation where this is unhealthy, what they're doing is unreasonable. And I think this is where biblical friends really come into play, like what Stephanie was saying. So meet with someone who you know loves God and loves the Bible and say, hey, what do you think about this? And the word I think of is boundaries when it comes to this. So you got to set boundaries with someone who is unhealthy. And here's the place where a lot of people get boundaries wrong. A lot of people try to use boundaries to control other people. You cannot control other people. That's not the point of a boundary. A boundary is something you do. So for instance, if you have a friend who's always screaming and yelling and cussing at you, you can't control what the words that come out of their mouth, the tone and the volume of their voice. You cannot. There's no physical way to do that. But what you can do is choose what you're going to do about it. So you could tell your friend, hey, I do not like it when you yell, scream, and cuss at me. If you yell, scream, and cuss at me, I'm going to hang up or I'm going to walk away. I will not let you speak to me like that. You're controlling yourself in that boundary. Cool. Well, we'll, we'll go, let's do about an hour more of questions and then we'll... <laughs> no, we're getting close. We'll do, we'll do a couple more. Uh, in a culture where this feels impossible, what is the biblical reason for waiting to have sex until marriage? Yeah, so, yeah, it feels impossible. Uh, this is one of the areas that we have to say, I don't really understand it, um, but I'm going to try to trust that God's reason that, that man and woman should covenant together, which, by the way, Jesus affirmed, it, we're really, we're really good, easy at, like, picking the thing. All of us are really easy at, like, propping up the things that, that Jesus says that we like and kind of, like, downplaying the things that we don't like. He affirms the law and the prophets that God created a man and woman for a lifelong covenant of marriage. We've talked about this a little bit when we were in Mark. Um, I think many times for me, there's a lot of things, particularly in the Old Testament, that does not make a lot of sense. I think for us, our starting point is not trying to make sense of everything that happens in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. Our starting point is to see who was Jesus? Did he actually do what he said to do? Did he actually raise from the dead? If he did, and he believed these things, and he taught these things, I'm going to like trust him for all, this stuff, all these things that don't make sense. And so um, the, the biblical reason is we're, we're going to submit to what God says is best for us, that when a man and a woman love, care for, a covenant together, not like I promise one day we're going to get together or we're married in my heart, but like, no, it's a big thing and, and, it's, and it's best in this, in this relationship. And so um, I don't, I'm not going to give you like here are three things why you should do this because I, I just think the number one thing is like we have to submit ourselves. And in our culture today, this is really, really hard. Yeah, I'll, I'll be real transparent and vulnerable with you guys because that's what we should be in church. Um, for me, some of the things in the Bible, it's hard to understand like why God has it the way he has it. This is not hard for me because I've lived it both ways. Um, so I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. Before that, I was an atheist. So I have had premarital sex. And then when Dylan and I got together, we waited until we got married. And so I've lived it both ways. The reason God says this is, is it's, our, it's our best. It's the, what's best for you. Um, when you have sex outside of marriage, it just really... It's not good for your heart. I've seen a lot of couples get married um, w because they had sex before marriage when they really should have seen some signs and they really shouldn't have got married and then they're stuck in a really terrible, toxic marriage situation. Um, and yeah, it's just, it, it, it creates sexual baggage that you bring into your marriage when you have sex outside of marriage. Now, the good news is um, that our God is a God of redemption. And so if, you, if this is your story, if you've had premarital sex, it doesn't mean you're not going to have great sex in marriage, but it does mean as much as you know today, as for anything in the Bible, as for us, all of us living our life always, what you know today that God has called you to do, do it today. If you didn't know it yesterday, if you made a mistake, if you sinned, repent, but do what you know that is good for the Lord has asked you to do it today. Stephanie? Um, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> I want to say this just too. I know we're talking about like, why should we do certain things? 
It's easy, easy for us to forget the gospel and all this, that there is no shame, there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Jesus, Christ Jesus. So I, there's a lot of, everyone in this room, right, regardless if you've had premarital sex or not, has sinned sexually, every single one of us. And uh, Jesus wipes all of those things clean. He redeems all of us. And so we might have guilt and shame from decisions we made, but he says, give it to me. And so I just want to just speak, as we're talking about a lot of sexual stuff, man, he loves us right where we are and he cleans us up, not, not us. Uh, let's do two more, two more. And then after, I forgot to mention earlier, we were having a cookout, so we've got a whole bunch of stuff in the, in the lobby coming out for you. And so free food after this, which is great. Um, how, can you have faith, how can you have faith in prayer and not fall into cynicism? For example, not really believing God will answer. Yeah, I, I would say go to him with your cynicism. Um, I've just called out to him and been like, I don't get it, God. Why aren't you being the God that I think you should be? I've actually asked him to be the God that you claim to be. I'm just being real, real here. Um, so I think it's okay to just, first of all, to have faith in prayer, you've got to pray, right? So just keep on praying. That sounds simplistic, but I think there is truth to that. And I just go to him with everything. So he knows how you're feeling. He knows that you're like, you're not even going to answer this, God. Um, just go to him with that. I think some of our problems with prayer is we, we approach every prayer the same, and I'm not sure that's a wise way to go. When we're praying about things that we know are God's will, that God has clearly revealed in Scripture, that this is what he plans to do, this is what he wants to do, your sanctification is God's will. God wants you to be more like Jesus. So when you're praying about those things, I think it's, very, it's easier to say, okay, Lord, I know this is your will. Show me how you are going to do this in my life or in and through me or where is it in Scripture that I'm going to grow? You, there's, there's different kinds of answers. Sometimes you're praying about things that God's answer is no. And it feels, you can feel a little cynical, but the reality is God is saying, I hear you, I love you, I understand what you want. That is not good right now. That is not good in this situation. We prayed for friends who lost children to disease. You, know, you just see things that you pray about and you go, God, this isn't right. And what keeps me from being cynical, wow, I'm getting emotional here. What keeps me from being cynical is that I know one day God will make it all correct. We will experience grace and truth and freedom and be free from sin and the ravages of sin that it does on our, our bodies and our minds and our culture and the kingdom. We will be free, but that is not going to be on this earth. He designed us for someplace else, as we learned in Genesis, and we will experience that freedom, but it's not going to be here. So there are times when I'm praying and saying, Lord, come. <laughs> I long for things that I know I'm not going to have on this earth, and I'm praying about them, and I'm asking you to work, and you're saying, not yet. It's like, okay, I trust you that one day I will experience that. Maybe not this side of heaven. I lied. We'll, we'll do two more. I know there's a lot of questions we're not getting to, but we'll just do two more, and then we'll, and then we'll wrap up. Um, how, do, how would you deal with family that constantly bullies you, bullies you for not living the way they do? For example, drinking. You want to start? Yeah, I'm guessing this isn't talking about like drinking cherry Coke. Um, I'm guessing this is talking about drinking alcohol. Um, I also am a little confused by the question because I wonder like, are they trying to get them to drink alcohol or bullying them for drinking alcohol? Um, I think regardless... Answer both ways. Okay, I'll answer both ways. If your family is bullying you, I think it would be a good idea to have a conversation with them and tell them how you feel and use like we language. So try to, to come at it from an angle of, hey, I want us to have a good relationship. When you say these things, they hurt my feelings. I don't want you to 
to bring this topic up anymore. Let, let's make this topic be a no-go zone for us and just kind of like set that boundary. And then if, again, if they bring that up, then you have to have a game plan for the consequence. Do you leave? Do you hang up? Like, what are you going to do in that scenario? But also challenge, if this is the other side of that question, if your family is saying you're drinking too much and encourage, like say, bullying you, you know, for, for drinking in excess, um, then I would say, ask your brothers and sisters in Christ around you, do you think I have a problem? Because it is foolish to not listen to wise counsel. And if the people you love and care about who love God, like I'm guessing your family member loves you. And if they're saying you need to stop drinking, maybe you need to stop drinking. Or maybe they're pushing you because they have a problem. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's not healthy. Just because somebody else is drinking doesn't mean, yeah, you don't, you, that's a problem in itself that you have to have somebody else drinking to make you feel good about your choices. Like, that's a red flag right there. And I know, too, again, what Christina was saying, sometimes it's like it doesn't matter what I say or what I do, this is still going to happen, and this is where the boundaries, you know, come in. And sometimes you, you know a boundary is necessary that, because when you set it, then they get upset with you for setting it. So that's an example of like, this is probably why it needs to be there. And so there might not be anything you can do to change it other than say, hey, I'm not going to be in this situation, so I'm going to avoid it. And they're going to be mad at you or blame it on you. And you just have to know like that that could happen, but it's it's still the wise thing, even if, if they don't like it. So there might have to be a boundary. If There's whole books written on boundaries. There are. Henry Cloud. <laughs> All right, let's do, uh, we'll end with this one. To let, today, the political parties stand for more stand more for social issues. Don't things don't these things those things matter to Jesus? Shouldn't we vote to support aligned with biblical belief? So, you are absolutely right. Here's the challenge. So, Tim Keller, he was my mentor that I never got to meet. He 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 talks about he talks about this that there's really kind of like today there's like four major issues that that make Christians maybe stand out among culture. The problem is two of them conservatives you know, push for, and two of them, liberals push for. So he talks about sex and sexuality. That's more of a conservative issue. Um, abortion, that all life, life in the womb, all of us matter, regardless of ethnicity, size, gender, how big you are, the geographical location. Like, these things are, like, conservatives typically push. On the left-hand side, there's two. I forget, I forget, the, I forget, I forget one of them. Uh, one of them is, um, like, criminal, uh, sorry, for caring for the poor. Like, again, more social justice liberals are typically better at trying to figure out how do we care for the poor and the marginalized. And I don't know if, like, mass incarceration would be in there. I would put that in there of, like, there's a clear disparity when you look at who's incarcerated by the ethnicity of their skin and, like, who the, the jail term sentences for, like, a white man that's 18 and a black man that's 18. Like, they're wildly different. If you're a Christian you should care about that. If you're a Christian, you should care about the poor and you shouldn't just say they should just try harder. Um, and there's one more, I forget the fourth one he says. So the problem is we have no political party in America that would be that we would say would score like a 90% or above. Now, we might think that because certain issues are more important than us than others based, I think, largely on the experiences we've had in life and, and the environment we grew up in. And so there are biblical issues that both parties represent and there are biblical issues that both parties get massively wrong. And so what we have to decide when we go and vote, which are, the, um, which are the issues that are most important? It's really easy for us to say, well, these are the ones that are most important for me. And so if a Christian doesn't agree, that's because they, they don't love Jesus enough. And that's the tension that we come to. And you, we can love Jesus and be wrong on the best way to solve a problem. So we might think one political party is going to solve it better than the other. And we could be right, we could be wrong, but that is not a litmus test of following Jesus. So again, my very quick answer is, I hear you. These things absolutely do matter. Like, it, it, we should, like, care about who's in office. And we should, like, absolutely. It's just a matter of, like, 
both parties can have some things that they actually do better than the others when it comes to scripture, and neither one of them are batting a thousand, and so you have to pick what you, what you think is more, is more important. Could I throw in one other thing too? Sometimes natural inclinations that we have about particular issues, we tend to biblicize without any justification. I'm just gonna give you one. The size of our local government, the size of our state government, the size of our national government, I don't know of a verse that addresses that issue anywhere in scripture. So you may have an inclination for bigger or smaller on any one of those levels. That is not a biblical issue. That's a personal issue. And you may be very logical, you may be very sure about why it's best to be A or B, but that's not a biblical issue. And I think a lot of times in, um, I'm gonna go back to that word, in a culture where we're evangelical about the gospel, we sometimes are evangelical about things that we shouldn't be evangelical about, meaning my own personal preferences, uh, the things that I would prefer the government to do or not do, or how the justice system works, or who I vote for in my city council. Why can't I vote for all of them? Why can I only vote for one in my district? But there's nothing in scripture about any of that. So sometimes we have those personal preferences that we become evangelical about or we preach about, and they're, they're, it's not a biblical issue. So a lot of times, I had to, I've had to spend a lot of time in my life going back and asking the question, is this a biblical issue or is this a Dave issue? And when it's a Dave issue, I'm trying to be quiet about it. I'm not very good at that sometimes, but that could help. But yes, care about social issues. Um, being apathetic might be more of a problem than being yeah. caring where you line up. Well, great. Thank you, guys. Any other thoughts as we close, just in general? You guys want to share anything come to mind? Go. Yeah, I, I was just going to say this has been great, and I think it's been really great to have um, anonymous that you can ask these questions. But if you were here for the anniversary um, video for New City, one of the words that kept coming up was community. And so even if you're not in a community group, there are people that are more available than you think to ask questions to. So please. Ask each other questions, and let's help each other out with these uh, hard issues. And I'll just say, I'm happy to talk about these things in person, one-on-one -on -one now, this afternoon, at the cookout or later. Um, if I've offended you, I'm sorry. Um, I, I offend a lot of people. <laughs> it's kind of in my nature. You're like the nicest guy ever. You do not offend a lot of people. Dylan offends a lot of people. You're fine. <laughs> She's not wrong, but, <laughs> but if I have, I would love to talk to you because more than likely, maybe, maybe you didn't understand what I was saying or I said something that sounded pretty stupid or it wasn't really where the issue was going or whatever. We may find that we have a lot more in common and I'm happy to just come alongside you and sometimes it's just helpful to have somebody wrestle and go, yeah, that is difficult when your kids vote differently than you. That's really difficult. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, guys, thank you so much. Would you give them a hand uh, for everyone willing to come up here? Um, as we close, Dave, will you lead us in the doxology? No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that this week. Um, I do want to just close with this. Again, we are unified around Jesus. All these questions are great. 
every single one of us would be happy to meet with any of you, one-on-one, -on -one, here, another time. So please know we're here for you. Um, we're following Jesus together. And I just want to emphasize, um, we're followers of Jesus. And it's not by trying to get all our answers, questions answered and being a perfect person. It's about what Jesus has done for us. All of us have fallen short. All of us have baggage. All of us have issues. And we trust in the one who has overcome everything on our behalf. And so thanks for being with us. Uh, Stephanie, would you pray for us? And we'll, uh, we'll end.